insert theme music here oh wait we don't have any theme music but hello listeners and welcome to the first episode of strange in the cinema of 2017 with no it's not the first episode of 2017 it's is the it? second because episode we were late again yeah it's the second episode of 2017 but also um just to be completely clear this is episode 27 which follows 26 the last episode was labeled as 25 at least in audio terms and that was completely erroneous so it was but let's say for argument's sake this is the first episode of 2017 because we're talking about films that have come out in 2017 today aren't that's we? true yeah last time we were looking back over 2016 this time we're looking forward and i suppose a little bit back if we're talking about stuff we've seen the last couple of weeks um, we're back also this week, or this episode, to our normal format, which of course takes us on a trip through the cinema, starting off at the popcorn counter, getting into coming attractions when we get into the theatre itself, then doing a feature review, or reviews, sometimes we do two features, that'll be the case today, and finally giving credits at the end to things that we think are worthy of credit. But before we get there, yes, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Paul. Um, yeah, of course, you're here with uh, that guy, Paul Anderson, and myself, Pete Wall, uh, your host from Strange in a Cinema. And yeah, looking forward to kicking off 2017 in some style. It's Yeah, and I think my New Year's resolution is probably to try and stick more religiously to putting an episode out a fortnight. We talked about maybe an episode a week, but clearly we struggled. Talk, uh, talking so religiously, Paul, it's almost Talking as religiously. You, you've got in mind the fact that one of our feature reviews today is going to be the new Martin Scorsese, but that's for later on. That is um, for later on. For now, let's waste no time, get up to the popcorn counter. Uh, what we're doing with this one now, we're going to change it a little bit. Instead of going sweet, salty, as we would always done before, we're just going to popcorn movies out we're going to pop out reviews of movies that we've seen recently and then we're going to describe whether we like them or not again it's not necessarily going to be popcorn movies that are at the center at the moment although this time of year when there's quite a lot out that tends to be of interest the, the probably the next couple of episodes may well be sort of newer films that are at the cinema certainly yeah, today no, is newer releases I but mean, it won't always be new releases. the way i see it is popcorn more in the sense of um you know when you heat up your popcorn in the microwave and it all sort of uh, pops out one kernel at a time in a random direction that is out of your control. It's a bit more like that. So these reviews can come all over the place, come from all over the place. They can be old movies, they can be new movies, they can be classics, they can be genre movies. It doesn't matter. It's just going to be what we've seen in a sort of roundup form, similar to what we've been doing since we started the show, actually. It's not as much change as we've kind of given it the airtime, to be honest. Yeah. The format's basically remained the same. It's a fairly superficial rebranding. Yeah. Right. So yeah. let's, you know. Uh, not wasting time get right into it Paul what have you got for popcorn movies part one today uh, I well actually you put me onto this uh, so I've stolen it from you basically um, it's a film called Blue Jay directed by Alex Lehman and written by and starring Mark Duplass yes so another um, out piece of output from the Duplass well one half of the Duplass brothers Jay Duplass the other guy is, his brother's not involved as far as I know in no, this I one no I didn't spot his name in the credits at, at least not directly so this one's streaming at the moment I believe yeah um, it's on Netflix at the moment yeah um, I've caught up with it you've caught up with it what do you like about this do you like it it's just it's, it's, a two, it's essentially a two-hander film between Mark Duplass and Sarah Paulson um, and both of them are absolutely superb in it and I would say not not to discredit the director in the slightest, it's very much a writer's film, I think, and the script is just fantastic. The, the just such a naturalistic performance. Basically, um, a guy goes or a girl goes home, bumps into an old flame from college mm -hmm. or school or wherever. Yeah, it opens fun, in a supermarket, yeah. right, and they meet each other yeah. in the supermarket the first and, time. And um, they can't they catch up, um, and it's just a two hander for. But it doesn't outstay its welcome. About ninety minutes long. It's just a superbly executed two hander with a conversation that is so natural and the dialogue is so sharp that you, you believe this could happen and the performances are second to none and I think 
certainly Sarah Paulson. Both of them are really good, but I think that it will be a shame. It will get overlooked in the award season, uh, yeah. and it shouldn't have done. But it's just it's just such an intimate, well put together piece. Yeah, because the, the whole sort of premise here is that yeah, as you said, um, old flames meet each other in the supermarket back in their hometown. The guy in this case, played by Mark Duplass, is clearly from the outset not as over that relationship as it seems like the Sarah Paulson character yeah. is. And then they play out this period of time just hanging out together, catching up on things that they did in the past. But there are choices that are made by, well, the writer and, and director here, Alex Lehman and, and Mark Duplass, where, for example, the couple play back audio cassettes that they made as teenagers when they were fooling around with each other when they were together that are so poignant and are allowed yeah, to that just was, play out that was a nice touch in the room. actually it's this kind of thing that could have been that could have gone either way for the film really it could have been really cheesy and quite tacky but actually it was handled again it was just the whole thing's just handled so deftly mm. that and that those those scenes especially actually you know they did the kind of they made you think back I think the characters are probably similar age to us aren't they maybe a little bit older a little bit I think he's supposed to be 40 yeah so, so somewhere around that yeah, they're the kind of things. A lot that, older than us. A lot older than us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, and it did it did make you start to think, and this is why this is what's so good about film. This is when it engages the audience so well that it makes you start to think about. Oh, I wonder if there's, you know, what I would have sounded like in a if I was in a relationship at that age, and how would I would I have been embarrassed and that kind of thing. So it's yeah, it's a really effective film. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also an incredibly powerful use of Annie Lennox in this yes, film. Um, that will stick with you. We were talking on the last episode about the way that. Um, for example, the music of American Honey sticks with you after the film and it yeah. brings you back to that moment. For me, I went ahead and played Annie Lennox over my stereo at home a couple of times. Well, after it would be that, that particular Annie Lennox song, which I say it stayed with me, the name of which is completely escaping me now. Escaping me? That's no more I, I love you. Escape, no more I love you. Every time I hear No More I Love Yous, I might not necessarily remember what it's called, but I will remember the film Blue Jam. And that moment. Um, yeah. And you should definitely seek it out. Yeah, yeah, fantastic stuff. Which brings us to your first pop. So uh, that would be yeah. How are you going to describe? That would be sweet, 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 yes. sweet, and also sort of a bit gut punching and uh, yes. and maybe maybe like um, some onion popcorn in there as well to bring a tear to your eye at a certain point because yeah, there's no such thing as onion popcorn. Make make your next choice. Strange in the cinema has many varieties of popcorn, Paul Anderson, and we will uh, eat as we wish. <laughs> Uh, yeah, mine uh, first choice for popcorn movies this week is uh, Passengers. This is um, film... I do want to see this, I just haven't caught up with it yet. Yeah, he heavily advertised for the fact that it stars both Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt. And in the advertising for Passengers seemed very much like a, a sort of intriguing thriller whereby we were given the idea that why did these... They're on a spaceship and they're travelling somewhere and they're in deep sleep. Right, I don't know if there's a technical name for we that. We talked about this a few months back, didn't we? Because I remember having seen the trailer, I think. No, yeah. I don't know if that's the right word. But um, yeah, th these two passengers, amongst a whole load of passengers, I think there are 1,500 or so on the ship, are in deep sleep and they wake up. And in the trailers, we're led to believe that the mystery is, why did they wake up? Mm. This is actually a bit of a red herring when it turns out that in the film... Oh, we, are you going to spoil it for people? I'm not going to spoil anything, <laughs> no. I'm not going to spoil anything other than the fact that um, Chris Pratt wakes up and that is because there's a fault with the ship but the situation and I won't I won't explicitly say what happens here but the situation with Jennifer Lawrence presents this film's biggest problem because Chris Pratt's character makes a decision let's say in this film which is more than a little bit suspect in any on any kind of moral compass but the film rather than really deal with that head on seems quite happy after a short period 
to kind of brush that decision under the carpet and get on with the business of looking at Jennifer Lawrence in a swimsuit in a space station uh, or a, a spaceship as we've got here. The, the film... You make it sound terrible, Pete. Well, the film on the, <laughs> on the surface is very pretty to look at um, as is, well, you know, as Jennifer as Lawrence as, as, as Chris is Chris Pratt. Pratt. Pratt yeah, yeah. No, you know, on his day as is Michael Sheen who plays a sort of a android yeah. barman in, in this thing. But unfortunately, where you think you're going to get this sort of intriguing sci-fi um, yeah, moral maze, instead you get what feels a bit sort of like a, a TV commercial crossed with, I don't know, an episode of a dating show in which you've got two beautiful people in an isolated situation who need to see how their relationship blossoms and, and in which ways it would be best to like them when they're you know making out or having sex with each other. Um, that's not to say that those aren't good things, but if you're in any way a sort of hardcore sci-fi person, or you're looking for something intellectually challenging, it's not going to be yeah, this movie. Yeah, it, it looked like it might have... It didn't look like the most intellectually challenging from the trailer, but it looked like it might have a kind of edge of brain. Yeah. It, <laughs> That's not a term, it, edge it, of brain, but <laughs> you, know where, you know what I'm getting at, I think. Yeah, I mean, it... it, it it takes you to a point where you think it's going to be more interesting than it actually turns out to be. Right. And, and by the last third of the film, if you're someone who's watched a, ha, even a handful of like classic sci-fi films and films set in space, you'll see all the beats coming. Is it a bit like Oblivion, where it's not as clever as it thinks it is? It, I think Oblivion is a good comparison, because I think Oblivion is another space set movie that looks beautiful and yeah. ultimately sort of flatters to deceive and, and just disappoints a little bit. So... I, I mean, well, again, the problem with Oblivion is it takes everything from everywhere, and if you've seen sci-fi films before, yeah, you know then you know there's yeah. you know there's influences. Yeah, if this is your first space movie, then maybe you'll be bowled over. But for me, it just felt quite derivative, a little bit silly, and very very surface. Okay. Um, so yeah, I I can't really recommend it. Although it's the kind of thing that if you've got a spare evening and you want to catch it on streaming or whatever, then it's probably worth worth a watch to borrow well, from my friend Paul Anderson the opposite well, side of the you're table. welcome to take that one now I'm going to really struggle not to say that for the rest of the episode <laughs> um, well bouncing from one disappointment to another disappointment um, that brings me to Manchester by the Sea directed by Kenneth Lonergan I really expected to like this a lot more than I did I have to say yeah, this um, is Kenneth Lonergan who directed Margaret, right? Which I've not seen, but yes. Margaret, which was ages in sort of production and then came out at somewhere around the three-hour mark and was really a difficult okay. sell, I think, to a wider audience. But a really good really good film. Worth but yeah, Manchester by the Sea, it's, it, it, it's a good film. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that it's a good film. Uh, Casey Affleck's performance is, is superb, um, certainly worthy of the hype. Uh, the, the, the kind of the, the crux of the film is that um, Casey Affleck's brother dies and he ends up Willie won't he kind of take on the take on his teenage boy and kind of the relationship to him and the teenage boy um maybe the trailers that thought was the way I didn't like it as much as I thought it would it kind of comes across as this hard hard hitting gut-wrenching drama and it certainly has those moments and those moments are quite effective but my problem with Manchester by the Sea starts from the fact is a is maybe that there's there's a lot of humor in it and I don't think the humor sat well with the more gut-wrenching moments so you have you have some really without there's one point and minor spoiler so listen away now where Casey Affleck's shown that he's trying listen to away. listen away listen, now listen, listen, away, listen now. away somewhere else yeah. listen, listen to away. your Close other your friends ears briefly. Casey Affleck's tried to kill himself for example and then it cuts to a scene where the 16 year old the 16 year old nephew is like trying to have sex with a girl and he's asking him about if he's too noisy tell him this and then people and then everyone in the cinema is laughing like it's the funniest thing they've ever heard and I'm just like I don't get this jarring tone. It doesn't. It didn't make any sense to me. 
Right, because of... I'm yet to catch up with this, and all I've heard, or I've, I've basically tried not to read too much about it because I anticipate, you know, what he, Kenneth Lonergan's capable of would be interesting well, apologies to me. For spoiler then. No, 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 no worries at all, but, but yeah, all I've read is sort of that this thing is a lot of suffering, but suffering delivered in a sort of um, really effective way. But for you, for me, it, it doesn't, doesn't work. You doesn't can't, hit. I mean, to, to, to use an extreme comparison, it's like it goes from harrowing drama to almost American Pie level sex comedy. Mm. I'm like, I don't get it. And this is co-starring Michelle Williams, right? Yeah, who is solid. Because I'm not I, in it a lot, to be I, honest. I love her in almost everything. So when I saw that she was involved, I thought, you know, I'd sign myself she's up good. for she's this. Just, she's not in it as much really. as you think. It's not It's not a Casey Affleck, um, Michelle Williams, Sue Hander. Mm. It's more about the relationship of him, him and his nephew. And perhaps I need to give it another viewing. Cine World did once again show something in the wrong aspect ratio, which annoyed me from the outset. So maybe I was in the wrong mood for it. Um, but stark disappointment, to be honest. It's, right. it, it, again, it's a it's a solid, well made film. Pre- but presumably, not this is troubling. Not. Some awards lists coming into the. Awards I think season. Casey Affleck will will be certainly in the running. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it's a better Casey, I've always quite rated him as an actor. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, it's a de- it's a decent performance. I wouldn't say it's an outstanding performance, but it's a good performance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. It's okay. Well, talking of okay, man, I feel like we've gone on a bit of a downer with the popcorn movies this week because um, I'm going to talk about A Tale of Tales for my second choice. This is uh, from Matteo Garoni. Matteo Garoni is a, an Italian director who brought um, us Gamora. It was about 2008, nine, I would say. Yeah, like the Ga- series or the film? Gamora, it was into a series. Gamora the film, yeah. yeah. I don't know if... I think he was involved on some sort of um, exec producer mm. level with the TV series, but um, the film, very, very gritty look at organised crime, but organised mm. crime where it pulls into its um, orbit young people and people so naive, you know, too naive to know what it is that they're getting themselves into, basically, and, and really strip back the glamour of, of that kind of organised crime in a very effective way, and also in a way that got Matteo Groni into some hot water with some people who weren't too pleased about the depictions of things that are, mm. you know, are fairly underground. Now, this thing, in some ways, couldn't be further from that. It's a, a sort of anthology of fairy tales, dark, I think, Italian origin fairy tales, about all kinds of um, strange business. Um, now, it sounds good. It does sound <laughs> great. And I've, it's one I've been looking at and, and hoping to catch up with for a little while. I mean, it stars Selma Hayek. According to the poster, it also stars John C. Riley, although he's in this for about five minutes. Um, it, Vincent Cassell's in there, who's always uh, worth worth watching <laughs> worth a watch, watch. <laughs> yeah um, you're, doing, you're doing it now without having realized i, know, I don't hooked. think i've said it yet i'm hooked i've taken so, it from you yeah. but yeah i mean th- there are a lot of people here toby jones is involved um has a fairly prominent role in the film but for me the, the problem was that costume wise is beautiful mm. setting wise some of it is pretty spectacular although you can see the the kind of edges of the budget at certain points in in this thing because the ambition is is fairly broad, great, um, large, uh, I should say. However, the tales themselves are so sort of tonally at odds with each other sometimes or, or sort of differ in quality so much that you get tales, for example, like Salma Hayek's Main Strand in which she is desperate to have a son, but then in order to have a son, she needs to send her husband, played by John C. Riley, who's the king, um, to hunt a sort of lake-dwelling lizard monster. Again, it sounds um, awesome. 
sounds awesome. <laughs> then we come up against the budget because putting that on screen is expensive yeah. and they have to cut corners and it maybe doesn't look so great. And then you think there'll be an intrigue in the actual plotting itself. But really what you get is a, what seems like a sort of fairly thinly sketched tale and then we jump out of it into another fairy tale and then that fairy tale gets drawn in for a little bit of time and then we jump out of that into another fairy tale okay. and none of them really had enough meat to hold my attention and also I hate it when this happens and it's not exactly the fault of Matteo Groni or the people who made this thing but it started making me think you know Pan's Labyrinth is such a great film oh, for okay. example yeah, so as soon as you start thinking of other films as soon as you yeah. make that well, comparison if you're going to compare anything to anything, do not compare it to Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. You're not gonna, it's, it's rare it's going to come out on top of that film. Yeah, and, and unfortunately for this film, I think that it suffers in comparison to that and, and other things that have come out. I mean, even this last year, I didn't love it, but we had things like the BFG on, on general release, which did some stuff visually that was absolutely beautiful. I've never seen that, actually. Um, I, I didn't go for it so much myself, but again, on screen, it delivers, whereas Tale of Tales, I think, again a bit a bit disappointing from what I was hoping for so unfortunately we've been a little bit negative maybe with our popcorn movies but that's what we get you know it depends what we've seen recently and, and that is a fair reflection I mean you've seen one or two other things I've seen one or two others but I think these were the, the key ones to, to cover this I time think now. so yeah let's I'm going to try and bring some positivity back mm. by starting by saying so coming attractions so we've mm. done the popcorn counter we're going to we're going to keep this going yeah we've, we've moseyed into the cinema yeah we've shown our unlimited cards other unlimited things are available other from other brands. Are available, I, I would yeah. So they've we've the, paid the trailers are bordered fifteen pounds. The trailers are bordered and now. don't fill the whole screen. But we you know we've talked about this before, and we're there. We're at coming attractions now. I'm going to start with the word disappointed, but I think it's going to be a positive. Uh, uh, you'll see where I'm coming from in a minute. So I watched the trailer a little while ago actually, and then completely forgot to talk about it on the podcast. So I'm going to talk about okay. it now. I watched the trailer for Rupert Sanders' up-and-coming live-action adaptation of the ma the anime Ghost in the Shell. Okay, with Scarlett Johansson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, now, yeah. I expected to be disappointed even in the trailer. I'm a big fan of the original film. I'm a big fan of the sequel. And I love the TV series. I think it's fantastic. It's some of the finest sci-fi I've seen, full stop, animated mm -hmm. or not. Um, and, expect and based on that, expected to be disappointed in the trailer. Um I still think I will be disappointed in the film, but the trailer at least seems to nail the look of it. Yeah. Um, Scarlett, I, I've moved on past the, the casting controversy of casting Scarlett Johansson, essentially whitewashing the film. Actually, if you look at the way she looks in the comics, although she may intended to be Japanese, mm. the way she looks in the certainly in the animations is that she does look a lot like Scarlett Johansson. Actually, I think that's quite good casting. Mm -hmm. Um the film's got a lot to the film's got a lot to do to to silence its critics and hopefully it doesn't dumb down the story too much. But I think in terms of the visuals, if you haven't checked out the Ghost in the Shell trailer yet and you are a fan, mm. at least check out the trailer to see the cool stuff they're doing with the visuals because if nothing else, it's going to look the part. Do we have any ideas on release dates for this? Uh, it's summer. Summer. I yeah. think it's early summer. It's I think it's sort of op I think it's one of the opening gambits of the blockbuster season. It this seems year, like so it's it not, would tuck in somewhere. It's not that far there. off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I said, I don't expect it to be much cop uh, based on the fact Hollywood have taken a, an anime, but we, sh we shall see. The trailer certainly looks interesting. And the director that you mentioned, do you know anything else that he's been Rupert involved Sanders in? did... Sorry, again, I'm doing this thing of asking you questions that I don't you know. Have, you've, you've you have. You have time to, to prepare for them. And, and Rupert yeah, Sanders did on. The Hunts, Snow White and the Huntsman. 
Oh, which I like. Which I haven't enough. seen. Um, and again, to be honest, Paul... And I want um, to say Rupert Sanders also did the first reboot of Planet of the Apes as well. Right, because I was going to say, even Snow White and the Huntsman, which is no great shakes, really, um, compares fairly favourably with Tale of Tales that I just talked about. So again, this oh, okay. is another sort of nail in the coffin of what I hope would be a, a really good film. So but, Rupert Sanders, competent director. So. Yeah, yeah, so we'll see, I guess. Um, yeah, to, to be seen, really, a, a few months away. Um, for th- my choice this time, I'm going to go in with some trepidation and say that my pick for a coming attraction is Wind River. Wind River is the directorial debut of Ty Sheridan. Ty Sheridan was the screenwriter for both um, Sicario and um, Hell or High Water, which we reviewed oh, okay. so, uh, a yep. couple of months ago. So really... Colour me interested. <laughs> yeah, really has built up a, a cachet of interest in at least screenwriting terms and now takes a different role although he is also writing the the screenplay for this thing um wind river stars amongst others elizabeth olsen um and this is that that time where i have to confess as i've probably talked about on the show before that martha marcy may marlene had such a big impact on me at such a pivotal point in I my didn't life really like the film, to be yeah I've not heard you, i barely you mentioned really it up that uh what was that what was that there for sound yeah um it had such sorry a... that was the uh that was the the stranger's laptop saying that it needed a restart because i forgot to turn the volume down so apologies listeners yeah but we will continue we're, we're gonna soldier on anyway yeah just like elizabeth olsen has since uh martha marty may marlene she's soldiered on into um a run of what i think have been very middling or quite poor films including the travesties that were like the old boy remake and red lights with robert de niro and Ah, liberal arts, um, and on and on and on. <laughs> now, I'm still interested enough in the combination of, of her work in front of the camera and Ty Sheridan's work behind it that Wind River, which I believe is going to premiere at festivals in the sort of spring time, um, and hopefully will premiere on the big screen for the general public towards the sort of third or fourth quarter of the year, is interesting to me. Uh, it's about an FBI investigation in a sort of backwards um, environment. It sounds intriguing. It's an R-rated thriller in the States at least, so I guess a 15 over here. Yeah, um, yeah interested enough. This is not to say that it's automatically jumping onto any best of the year lists. I'm going to reserve judgment until I get a chance to see it. Mm. But yeah, definitely some elements in there that I'm interested in for sure. No, sounds good. So, Paul, this takes us on to the sort of main attraction really here, doesn't it? The uh, the features or feature section of our show, yes. where we sit down in front of the film that we've paid our hard-earned cash to watch, and um, in this case, don't watch it, but just talk about it. Um, we've got two this time round. We've got right? two, yes. Two this time round of a very, very different nature. So it's up to you, man. You you pull out whichever one you want to talk about first. Shall we go La La Land first? Okay, let's go La La Land. Let's let's no go one's in. committed and mentioned La La Land. We've got to do it first. In fact, we mentioned the other film we're going to be talking about in a bit. Uh, well, not in a bit because that would mean we talked about it in the future, which we didn't. We talked about it in the past. But anyway, La La Land. Yeah. See, if only you could just sing and dance your way out of that kind of yes. uh, stumbling if point. Only, if only I wore a white shirt as well as Ryan Gosling does. Yeah, or those black and white shoes, man. Yes. So yeah, this one of course is La La Land, Damien Chazelle's follow-up to Whiplash, which we both really, really liked, which oh, came out a couple of years ago now, um, and obviously did well at, at awards with awards recognition and stuff like that. Um, this time we've got Ryan Gosling, we've got Emma Stone, and they are front and centre in a story of an aspiring actress trying to make it in LA and in, in Hollywood. Um, take it away, Paul. I mean, what do you think of this? Did you like it? Why? Why not? 
kick I us off. I really bloody loved this film, to be perfectly honest. It was it was a lot of fun from start to finish. It was... It sounds like English with our podcast. I really, I really bloody, bloody loved, loved it. it. La, 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 La Land. I really bloody loved it. Tally Ho, what a film. Um, what a wonderful experience from start to finish. Um, no, it's just it was just a lot of fun. Um, the, op- the opening scene, which I understand received some standing ovations from critics on sort of preview screenings and stuff like that, deservedly so. Yeah. Um, this is a this is a highway sort of a long panning shot that picks up a a, row, a line of traffic in Los yeah, Angeles. And then people people getting out of cars and synchronized dancing. And the thing is with the thing is with, with myself and musicals is that I don't not normally a fan, and so it takes a really good musical to hook me in because I, I struggle with them. They're just not really. Not always to my not always my kind of thing in all yeah. honesty. Um, and this this one was. Now I think there was the performances help. Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone I think had good good chemistry together. Yeah, I mean we've seen them on um, screen before in in Crazy Stupid Love, right? Yeah. Where she said he looked like he'd been photoshopped, and they had a, a bit of a romance going on in that thing. So there's and obviously were they not, did they not share screen time in Gangster Squad as well? Oh God, I've blanked that out. I yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure yeah. this went. So, I, so I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. So, the, so they they've worked together before, and it, and it shows. I think, and their 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 chemistry is is the two is the two is the two leads is great. Well, we got J.K. Simmons returning in this as well. Mentioning yeah. Whiplash before, right? With with a kind of a smaller, much smaller role in that yeah. film actually. But yeah, so performance is strong. Performance is strong. There was and what was odd is there wasn't actually as many songs and dance routines as I expected there to be. Um, and the more I think about it, the more I think it actually helped the film for me. I think if it would, if it had overdone it, I think it would have reduced the impact of what the, the singing and dancing that was there, and the you know the dance routines and the songs were superb. Yeah, I mean, fr- from where I was, it seemed as though we had quite a front-loaded um, part of the film with a lot of dance numbers, song singing numbers, what should I say, musical numbers, and towards the end of the film, that kicked in again. Mm. Middle section of film, a little bit more sparse in terms yeah. of the, the musical numbers, right? I think you came out and said it was, the middle section was a bit like Blue Ruin. Blue, um, no, 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 no. Blue, Blue Valentine. Yes, Blue, Blue Valentine, Valentine, not Blue Ruin. Yeah, if the yeah. middle section was like Blue Ruin, that would be weird. But yeah, even, it, it took me back because yes. they were having that conversation which was like really fraught about their relationship. It took me back to that part where, where Ryan Gosling's have the conversation with Michelle Williams, who you've brought up earlier yes. in the podcast, um, about the... Um, you know, have passion for what scene where he's talking about, or she's challenging on why he does furniture but removals. Let's, let's put the that. listeners' minds at rest. It's not a musical version of Blue Valentine because that would be too much to stomach. No, that I would think, be that would be hor- that would be horrible. It's I, not. It's not a. It's a feel good film. It's not a dark film. Right, but I, but I, yeah, it is a feel good film, and the stuff at the Oscars and around the awards, and it's just swept the Golden Globes. Is going to be around. Yeah, this is a feel good film, and it's about dancing and singing. Well, actually quite a bit of this film is about at least to some extent the realities of disappointment um, self-delusion failure uh, and the grinding realities of everyday life in so much as which is what, what part of the reason it works so well because I think so, you still yeah. come out you still come out feeling uplifted at the end of it despite and, it, and also the end it doesn't fall into a cliched ending which is great the end I thought was really really nice and you're absolutely right, well, that's right? A, and it's a big showstopper the, the, the last yeah. sequence is really really impressive and it's great it? and I think that you, you know you've hit the nail on the head there you do come out sort of feeling like oh, I really enjoyed that and you know it was it was I had a good time watching but it's it. grounded enough but it, yeah it's in that and I think again that's what you know if, if, if you look at a lot of musicals I'm trying to, Chicago for example it's just it's just so overblown and so ridiculous like I get that's kind of the spectacle of it mm. but for me I can't relate to something that overblown where it's so song and dance all the time I can't relate to that I need some grounding I need some actual characters and actual some genuine character relationships that I can 
that yeah. I can relate to and, without saying and, and the word having, relate too much. Having but. just uh, together seen the Always Sunny in, a Phil- in Philadelphia episode where they do a musical throughout the, the first episode of the new series. Which is great. You, way, you can really yeah. ground you can really ground your yes. musical in something other than, yeah, just sort of this loft, flighty kind of uh, sense of wonder and Hollywood. Yeah, and that's what that's what works so well about La La Land. Yeah, because I mean, it, it's grounded. But Paul, any, any minuses for you at all? Or is this for you five stars, you know, sweep all the awards, fully deserved kind of um, uh, recognition? I need to watch it again. In fairness, Do I don't, there's not there's not does much. It, that, does it hang with Whiplash as far as you're concerned? I think Whiplash is probably the more accomplished of the two films, but there's not a lot in it. But I've seen Whiplash more than once. Mm. I'm being very evasive on this because I haven't quite made my mind up on whether it's better than Whiplash or not. Yeah. Certainly, it's a deserving companion piece, and a, a, you know. A, a solid second part to his he's planned a trilogy hasn't he of films about music that's right um, certainly you know it's a deserving second part in that trilogy and certainly marks him out as, as a fantastic talent yeah um, as I a mean, filmmaker he's only in his early 30s as well so that's right he's incredibly seriously young. impressive yeah I mean here is the thing um, and, and what did you what were your well, thoughts well shoot me down if, if I'm out of line here but like you said it, it marks him out well, he marks himself out, doesn't he, quite deliberately. Damien Chazelle yeah. is not going to be surprised that people are paying him, him all this attention for directorial choices because things like that opening shot, as fantastic as it is, it's very much like look-at-me filmmaking, right? And it works mm. very well, and it is memorable. At least for now, we'll see how that is, you know, five, ten but years down is, the line. But this is specific to this film, though, I think. There's, there's mm. not, it's not, he doesn't do the same thing in Whiplash. He did mm. say he kind of... There's a little bit in Whiplash, I think. But it's not to the same extent. Like, this was meant to be like a homage to the big, the big Hollywood musical so, and those scenes were there in those in of, fairness to of him. course yeah of course and I think he he handles them very very well I just yeah at certain points I have a feeling of um, that there's a I don't, it, it's a bit churlish to say but it does feel like there's a bit of um, attention seeking maybe about the way in which the film is shot but then like you said in this kind of film it does just point you back towards the things that inspired it to begin with. Mm. Another thing I would mention though is um, in a film of, of this nature and that has those influences, the vocal performances I think are not the most powerful. Not to say that they're weak. I think Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone both hold their own, but no, they're it's not the most you say powerful. That because I, I, think. I agree, um, but I think that helped ground it again. I yeah, they didn't didn't the song and dance sequences didn't. Again, if I'm repeating myself, and apologies, but they weren't. They didn't feel overblown. The one at the beginning did, and they kind of grabbed your attention. But the other song and dance sequences, they felt more subtle than I expected them to feel. Mm. Uh, and I really like that. And I, I like the kind of almost stripped back, not stripped back vocal performances, but just as you said, you know, you know, slightly more measured. Not obvious. They're not obvious singers, and mm. I quite like that. It meant I could relate to it a bit more than I normally could with the music. Yeah, and I mean, for there, me anyway, there are moments of just absolute sort of joyous, um, yeah, joyous it's a celebration of really performing arts, which sounds like such a sort of camp camp mm. thing of me to say. But because, like yourself, Paul, I'm not a massive musicals person, a musical theatre person, and, and so going into this thing, I'm both really excited to see what Damien Chazelle's done next, and a bit trepidatious about the fact that this is not exactly for me, whereas my girlfriend sat next to me absolutely buzzing with the mm. idea of watching a musical for, for two hours. I just think for me that, that the beginning of the film is spectacular, the end of the film more spectacular. I think there are parts in the middle of the film that don't quite have the same, pack the same punch as either the beginning or the end. And so I really, really liked this. I think 
I will probably tire of people talking about it by the time we get out the other end of awards season. Um, I would agree with you. I think I think it will it will probably will clear up at the Oscars. I haven't seen anything yet that really. I haven't seen anything yet that's got a realistic chance of beating at the Oscars that I should think beat it. Yeah. If you see where I'm coming from. Well, yeah, and I mean, again, so, again, it's, it's you know, a, American Honey should beat it. It won't. It won't no, get nominated of course for not. Anything. That is, so those are the kind of films I think should beat it. But in terms of what will get nominated, I think it's the most deserving and candidate course, so you, far. You know, again, I think Damien Chazelle is great, but if you're going to make a film that is going to be a lock for Oscars, mm. why not make it about the Hollywood dream? And big Hollywood and Hollywood no, tradition. Yeah. I mean, this is the the from the artist through, you know, X, Y, and Z that we've seen over the years. It's a surefire way to put yourself in that picture. It is, but at least it's well. But, but at least it's, it's well least done. It's a good effort. It's yeah. well it's, done. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Really, and I, really and I do well sound done, yeah. like I'm being overly critical. I like this. Whether it's going to get on my end of year list, p- p- perhaps, perhaps it will because there's so much to enjoy and because Emma Stone is mm. so charming. But we'll see. We'll see how we feel about it in six months' time. I suppose. Which is not a decision we need to make on how we feel about our next feature review. Um, Martin Scorsese's long-awaited silence. Yeah, and talking about, you know, both you and I thinking, oh, Damien Chazelle's new film's coming out. Really excited about that. I mean, could you name a director? They're not A clutch of directors would get you more excited than Martin Scorsese. There's not many. If, that, right? There's not many. So, you know, despite the... you know, Yeah, we were there. Like, yes, new Martin Scorsese film. Nearly went New Year's Day. Too hungover. Scorsese might thank be God like 100 we, thank years God old. Thank we didn't now, go New Year's matter. Day. Can you imagine? Yeah. Um, just... Just terrible. Well, okay. It's, it's pull, terrible. pull it back. It's, pull it back. Pull it back. Pull it back. Let's give it some context before we. Yeah. So set up for this one, we've got two lead characters played by uh, Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield, who are priests. Am I right? Yes. Priests. They are priests, and they are sent from the Portuguese arm of the Catholic Church. Am I right? Yes. And they are sent to Japan. And the uh, historical context is that they are involved in trying to protect the um, the Catholic Church and its message as it is being delivered to the Japanese people who at that time are um, marginalised by the illegality of being a practising Christian in Japan, right? So these two are sent there on this uh, sort of missionary oh um, to also track down Liam Neeson who was lost there yeah Li- Liam, Liam Neeson's <laughs> character is is a another Portuguese man who has been sent in advance or has gone in advance to spread the word in, in Japan so these two younger priests are going to go there do their their holy work and try to establish a new footing for the religion in a country that seems to be increasingly hostile to that religion and hopefully track down Liam Neeson's character in the process now, you came in saying, awful. I don't think you've come to that conclusion from any kind of biased religious standpoint on the face no, of it. No, and I think awful's... awful's what, what is it that didn't work? Technically, it's not an awful film. Scorsese is incapable of making what you would say is a bad film from a technical perspective. That's a fact. He's, just, he's too good a filmmaker for that. So technically, it looks fantastic. Everything's technically in place for it to be a great film. What didn't work for me was the subject matter for a start. I I struggled to I struggled to have I struggled to have sympathy with the characters, with Christian characters like this when things like the Crusades happened and the way that basically I believe Scorsese's Catholic, um, 
In fact, I'm one hundred percent sure he is now from this film. The whole thing felt very preachy. For, to me, it felt like a three-hour Sunday school lesson that I wish I skipped. There was no nothing. Not a great deal happened in the story. Um, this there was. I'm ranting a bit here because it generally made me quite angry. The, the almost the bordering on racist um, interpretations of the Japanese characters, the sneering inquisitor who spoke like this, yeah. and I am evil Japanese man, and he's he had a lisp, and he's, I am evil comic. Japanese, and yeah. you are good Christian men. And I'm like this. And Scorsese's not a subtle filmmaker, but this this just took the biscuit. Andrew Garfield starts to resemble Jesus by about halfway through, and you're like, literally, I was like, Christ, when is this going to end? Yeah, now there's the risk I think with someone with the, the the sort of name wattage of a Martin Scorsese that we sort of ride roughshod over everybody else involved and just say that this is all an analysis of what Martin Scorsese is about. Um, the co-writer of this thing, other than the Japanese author of the novel on which this thing is based, is Jay Cox. Jay Cox is also the screenplay writer for uh, Gangs of New York, for Strange Days, for The Age of Innocence, um, in which he worked with with Scorsese Strange days. before. Yeah, so. A, wow. a writer with again some clout in the industry but a writer of 72 years of age uh, Martin Scorsese at this point is what 80 um, 74 excuse me Mr Scorsese 74 now something about this film I, I think is it's maybe somewhat relevant to mention the age of the two people involved in at least the English language but writing but he made Wolf of Wall Street in his late 60s early 70s I have, a, I have a huge array of problems with Wolf of Wall Street but we won't go there but, but, but yeah um, that's an exciting film though it's an exciting film and maybe from an, a religious fervour point of view this is an exciting film but like you mentioned Paul it's it's so difficult I think for both you and I we found it difficult to separate the inherent ludicrousness of having the Portuguese members of the Catholic Church played by respectively an American man, an English man and an Irish man in the form of Liam Neeson have these conversations in English with accents that were supposed to be in some way representative of a historical period that you're immediately taken out of. Because all I think is there's the lead from Patterson there's Spider-Man yeah. and, and there's the guy whose daughter's been taken because she's followed you two on tour, right? And and I'm sorry because, you know, actors, great actors should really disappear into their roles and I think yeah. that, that Andrew Garfield to some extent, Adam Driver to some extent and Liam Neeson to some extent are very good actors on their day but this material just felt so at odds with the casting. I, I don't understand why we couldn't have cast lesser known actors who would sink into those roles more readily and then we can just focus on the content and the storytelling and not on the way that we're pulled out of it by this crazy kind of but I just think, think it's even status. I think some of it is the material as well it's just you know you've got the idea and okay this is you know this is based on I'm assuming based the, the book that's based on is based on some kind of religious uh, historical, historical fact. fact yeah for sure um, but I'm sorry you don't you can't expect me to have sympathy for a priest who sits there and what and won't basically the the crux of the film is and maybe, maybe this is because I'm not stepping on stuff. He literally he won't step on a picture of Jesus. Instead of stepping on a picture of Jesus, he lets people get tortured. And you're like, I'm sorry, that would have been fucking, a better movie. What kind of fucking Christian are you? That would have been a better movie. Stand on a picture of Jesus when someone's being tortured. That's ridiculous. That would have been <laughs> been a better movie. Step up, 
colon yeah. to the picture of Jesus, yeah. right? Then it's a dance movie. They have dance battles <laughs> yeah. between the Japanese and Buddhists and the, the Christians from Portugal. But, no, do you, see my, watch that? do you see my point, though? You're, spo- you're supposed to have sympathy with this guy. Oh, but his face so strong, he just lets people just get tortured for because to, to, he won't denounce Jesus. I'm supposed to have sympathy for him. But fuck off. But there's a, there's, right. a, there's a kernel in there that I was digging around for when I was watching this where you think like, oh, no, this is interesting because this is about the difference between your internal world and the external world what you're prepared to do in the external world and how that impacts you on in you know your the internal person that you are but again and i'm sorry to like go back to the same point that i hammered probably when we came out of the cinema as well but yeah you're right i think the writing's problematic at times the characterization's problematic particularly in terms of the the japanese members which is about half the people on screen if not more and then the three major a-list actors that are involved in this it all seems so earnest it all seems so like desperately willing themselves to to push into again bringing it up for the umpteenth time on this episode awards consideration yeah look at my suffering look at my religious (laughs) suffering and my fervor and my commitment to this script and this idea and this bit of history i don't believe for a second that either adam driver liam neeson or andrew garfield have any great investment in this period or in the christians plight or in the death of japanese or in the death of christians so for me it just became disingenuous and it became almost disingenuous to the point of being funny and that's not what this should be no. right I don't think that's what Scorsese intends or, uh, intends or Jay Cox or no, anyone else in there. No, I certainly don't think it was meant to be a comedy I think yeah. mine Scorsese takes this 100% seriously and for that reason uh, Paul I'm out uh, yeah out uh, completely out and, and I left this rather than with silence with a whole load of slightly aggrieved thoughts to I was just bored yeah. I was just genuinely just bored with this film to be perfectly honest um, yeah. it's a shame Real shame. Which brings us on to... Credits. Now that's finished, thankfully. Let's give credit to something. Let's give credit. Look, at, look at Scorsese. Smiling. Look at something smiling. else. Not Scorsese this time round. Um, what, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Let's bring it up at the end of the show. I want to give credit, and this is a bizarre one coming out of left field. I want to give credit to lavishly made and well-presented Blu-ray and DVD box set. You've almost put on your like nerd voice as I you have, went yes. to say, I want to give credit to a good box set. Yes, I do though. I do want to give credit to a good box set, in fact. Um, I'm not talking about just something that comes in a cardboard slip, slip case. I'm talking about, and let's look at, let's take one. Paul, Paul for, for the listeners, Paul's looking to his right to his gigantic wall covered in Blu-rays. Let's uh, look at Lawrence of Arabia, kinds. which comes with a massive lavish photo book and like with amazing illustrations and a bit of film stock in it or the Godfather trilogy and like a white made to look like a massive book with a script in it or a Hitchcock this Hitchcock set, piece over which here has got loads of art cards in it. and even even like Blu-rays with art cards in and that kind of thing if you're really into films and they you know the, with the with the streaming on the rise even if you put some art cards into it some postcards something like that which now mm. I've got in frames around the flat that kind of thing like just make some effort with your presentations of home releases because you want to encourage people to buy things and not stream them. Well, in this age, yeah, absolutely. Like, and I can understand why people why people don't want physical things around. They do take up a lot a lot of room, as you've just said. But you know, my favourite. It's quite nice having like an Indiana Jones thing with a little diary in it and that kind of thing. It's for the geeky like film goer out there, you need to be encouraged people to buy them more. Arrow Arrow Video do are a great example of how to do it well. I'm looking at a Blu-ray copy of The Hills Have Eyes at the moment. They've always got a really, even if it's 
just a nice like, like a nice slim box with like a well packed well written book about the film in and stuff like that just put a bit of effort into releases it's, yeah it's not not for me to suggest that your pick this week is a little bit broad but can I put you on the spot <laughs> very broad and yeah. say if you absolutely had to what would you pick out as your current favourite box set or presentation of a, of a film because there's a lot to choose from but I think you must have a personal favourite or you know favourite there's a lot to choose from and you have certainly put me on the spot what comes honest. to mind for, like if if you're you know god forbid you're in a house fire <laughs> you can save one uh, blu-ray dvd box set which one do you oh. save and box set I don't mean like a box set of you know television shows although you've got Star well, Trek it, over there so it, it could be that it would potentially would have again it could have been Star Wars but it's not because the box set's a nice box set there's nothing extra in it the Jurassic Park box set I think is fantastic so okay. um, that's got so again nice poster in it really nice art cards steel tin just adds a bit of occasion to buying a film uh, which is just an absolute geekgasm to be honest I'm just geek <laughs> geekgasm geek-gasm. <laughs> we, we just um, stick gasm on the end of anything so, and yeah and that's that's my credit really so Please keep pumping out, pump out good box sets. Uh, put a book in it, make it infor- make it informative, uh, and just make it look a bit nice, really. And don't charge too much for it because they can get expensive. Yeah, really. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm going a bit left field as well as, as you did, Paul, with my pick for credits this week because it's something that I stumbled upon a couple of days ago, and I feel like it's changed my my tiny little life in a in a big way. And that is uh, an app. Yep, that's right. I'm going to give credit to an app. The app is called Pocket Casts, and the reason I want to give credit to it is because for the longest time, I'm an Android phone user. For what it's worth, there are other operating systems available, but um, I've been using a thing called Double Twist, which I was recommended four years ago, something like that, and it's become kind of slow and laggy and annoying. Is and this it, film related? In it absolutely is, Paul, and I'm getting to that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's become sort of laggy and slow. It mixes up artwork. It does all kinds of things wrong, I think. Sorry, the guys who developed that, but you need to you know, pull, pull your finger out a little bit, I think. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was recommended this thing, Pocket Cast. It Basically, the reason I, I bring it up on Strangers in Cinema is because because of the fact that my phone is running out of battery and has made a noise that we didn't want but it's also the fact that um, this is a great way to access all of your film podcasts see what I've done uh, ah, including are you, in, are you insinuating there's other film podcasts available well you know which one have you know which slightly one I, more listeners than ours you know which one I have checked is available it's Strangers in a Cinema's podcast apparently that is hot shit right now oh okay um, the great <laughs> things about uh, Pocket Cast though is that instead of just some sort of dull list of names of shows you get a tiled uh, artwork page oh, covered in all which of, he is showing me now yeah covered so. covered in all of the uh, the front front page artwork of, of all your favorite podcasts strange in the cinema beautiful artwork done by one kind of gagan the uh, producer of this show too um this thing has just got a load of features that are like a dream to someone who listens to podcasts obsessively as me um, you've got a sleep timer when you want to go to sleep listening to Strangers in a Cinema so that you don't you know, run your phone battery down overnight and miss work the next day. So you're basically paying credit to us really, aren't you, via I, this? I really am. It's got um, a, an inbuilt sh- sharing function, of course, so that you can what, share the episode share? With, with other people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. It's got a very easy to use searchable, categorised um, function so that you can find all kinds of new shows if ever you know, you're waiting for the next Strangers in a Cinema to, to come out. Um, yeah, it's beautifully sort of um, tailored to the needs of someone who loves podcasting. Before I iTunes or SoundCloud get in touch with us and sort of complain that we're promoting one or the other, what was it called again? Give it one last... 
this one last this thing is called we, uh, is pocket pocket cast and it's just a great way if you've got android if you're on ios it's different but if you've got android it's a great way to handle your podcast and, and, and there make, are and in fairness there are other good po- film podcasts out there that are well worth a listen uh, absolutely there are i said it well and worth a listen yeah, though not it, worth a watch if it wasn't so <laughs> counterproductive i would recommend all of those and maybe we can <laughs> on a future show but but yeah if if paul we'd been doing the show we were on hiatus at the time when I had discovered Letterboxd in, you know, the most proper sense, I would have raved about that in this section too. So I thought well, now... Maybe we can talk a bit about Letterboxd in the future episode. Yeah, Let- Letterboxd is pretty cool. Letterboxd so. is fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, um, Pocket Cast is that one. Um, just to run back over in case anyone's missed it, the films that we've talked about today, we got through popcorn movies where we talked about Blue Jay. Um, second, we talked about Passengers. Manchester by the Sea. Third, yeah, Paul, Paul Kenneth Onigan's Manchester by the Sea. Um, and then finally, I'm blanking on my own film. You are, yes. Uh, Tale of Tales, of course. Ma- Tale Matthew Roney's uh, anthology of fairy tales. Then we got into feature reviews. What do we do? La today? La Land and Silence, which we didn't like very much. <laughs> yes. Um, then, oh, of course, we did Coming Attractions, and I've just skipped over that. But yeah. um, it, on your in your case, what Ghost in the Shell trailer, check it out. Of course, and I went for uh, Wind River, which is a terrible, terrible title. But hopefully, Ty Sheridan's come up with the goods on that one. Then we gave credit to, uh, well, Pocket Cast, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of podcast app. And uh, Blu-ray, collectible Blu-ray box sets. Not vanilla, not yes. interested. Not yes. vanilla discs, no. Um, so with all of that said, it's only for us really to say that you can find all shows, all archive shows that we've done on soundcloud.com forward slash strangers in a cinema. Paul, what about social media? You can find us on at strangers cinema. Uh, we're on Instagram, aren't we, Pete? At strangers cinema's Twitter, by the way. Um, yes. Yeah, we're on. Sorry, excuse me. I missed what you said. At Stranger Cinema's Twitter. What was our Instagram tag? The Instagram tag is on. I'm, my I use phone Instagram a lot, listeners, as now. you can tell. So, um, uh, I think it's just Strangers in a Cinema. Yeah, it's Strangers yeah, in a Cinema, cinema. All one word. Strangers in Cinema on Facebook uh, and Strangers in Cinema at Gmail If you do want to email us for any particular reason, and that is about it for this week. Yeah, so. get in touch. Keep listening. Spread it around. Tell your friends. Share the episodes where you can. All the support will come back to you. We'll credit the people who help this thing get further off the ground as time goes on. So we appreciate each and every person who's listened and continues to listen. Um, and until the next time that we record, it's goodbye from me, Pete. And goodbye from me, Paul. <laughs>